to another week of Scriptures Revealed. And I am so excited that all of you have joined me to continue this journey through the book of Ephesians to learn what it is that God is trying to say to us, what it is God is trying to reveal to us, and what God is trying to do in us in regards to the revelation and the gems of truth that are embedded in this marvelous book called Ephesians. And we have embarked through a lot. We've traveled through a lot. We've gone through the backdrop of the book and we've learned that the book of Ephesians doesn't actually start in Ephesians. It starts in Acts chapter 19. And uh, once we went through that, um, we also learned that Ephesians unveils to us that Christianity is not about a religion and it's not about joining a faith, but it is about being becoming naturalized into a, an entirely brand new nation that we have no uh, idea about. Uh, I believe that uh, even Christians today who call themselves Christians and who call themselves followers of the way have no idea that Christianity is about being a part of a new nation and a new race and a new culture and a new idealization about the kingdom of God and the nation of Jesus Christ. And so we learn that uh, Christianity is about a nation. It's not necessarily about a religion. It's about a nation. And we learned that and we went through uh, verses 1 and 2 and we have actually gone through verses 3 through 14. And we learn that in the original language in verses 3 through 14, that that is one big, long Greek sentence. It's really one sentence in the Greek. And what Paul does is he unfolds for us and unveils for us the kingdom naturalization process. We learn that because Christianity is about being born into a new nation and being naturalized and becoming citizens of a new nation, becoming a part of a new race, that Paul begins to unveil to us. Us, how that process happened and we learned over the course of the past three weeks we walked through that naturalization process and we learned what the father has done we learned what the son has done and we learned what the holy spirit has done to make us a part of the nation of jesus christ it has been wonderful. The things that God has revealed, the things that God has unfolded, the things that God has imparted to us as we have journeyed through the scriptures and learned some very powerful truths. Now, the next verses that we're going to go into is verses 15 through 23. And in verse 15, we embark on a, one of the most uh, powerful prayers that Paul prays uh, that uh, he gives us insight into. You know, I love it when we get insight into the prayers of Jesus and the prayers of the apostles because I believe that it focuses us, it centers us, it brings us back into the heartbeat of the kingdom of God and what God's original intent was when he established the church. So I am excited about journeying through that prayer, unfolding some things about that prayer, and then teaching us how to pray that prayer daily in our lives so that it can begin to influence and impact and metamorphosize our everyday lives so that we begin to reflect the very image of Christ. But I'm going to do something very special today. Before we go into verses 15 through 23, I want to kind of give a synopsis of what we have learned learned over the past three weeks. Again, I told you a couple of weeks ago that I've given you all over the past three weeks about an hour and a half worth of teaching on kingdom naturalization. 
in all fairness, all of the information, all of the revelation, all of the insight that I've gathered from that revelation is probably about three hours long. Now, again, I'm working on compiling all of that information, getting that teaching together so that I can release that to you all, all three hours of it. And I want to release the three hours of that teaching and I want to release to you my teaching notes in regards to that. And so that's going to be coming down the line very, 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 very soon. I'm working on that for you, I promise you. But because there's so much information on it, I wanted to be sure that I kind of tied all of it together and I kind of put a nice pretty bow on it for you and I help you understand why kingdom naturalization is important, what's the aim of it, what the kingdom of God is all about, what the gospel is all about, and what this whole naturalization process is for. So that's exactly what I'm going to talk to you today about. I want to show you, I know you've seen the flyers, you've seen everything about the royal family, and I'm going to show you that the whole essence of the gospel is about the royal family, that until the uh, everyday man and until even the Christian understands that the purpose of the gospel was to not just save you from your sins was not just to provide another way to forgive you of your sins because do you get this that the bible says in the book of hebrews that the old covenant had a way of forgiving men of sins it had a way of, of applying blood for the remission of sins so the forgiveness of sins cannot be the essence or the climax of what the new covenant was about because there was forgiveness of sins in the old covenant what the new covenant does is it not only forgives you of sin but it adopts you into the royal family and I want us to help us I want to help us understand that in the royal family you have God the Father you have God the Son who is known as Jesus Christ and you have God the Holy Spirit and then a part of the royal family now watch this the the part of the royal family is also the body of Christ and that's why the Bible says that ye are Christ you learn that in Corinthians that we are Christ that we are the body of Christ and that does not make us a part of the Godhead. It does not make us on equal playing uh, field with the Godhead. It does not give us equal authority with the Godhead. But what it does do is that it does give us a level of authority. It does give us a degree of identity and it does give us a place among the royalty of the kingdom. And so I want to help us unfold that today. I want to help us walk through that today and I'm going to try to do it within the time frame I have. But I believe that the teaching today is going to bless you empower you, enlighten you, and give you such a, a, a breath of fresh air and a form of encouragement to let you know that the whole aim of the gospel was not just to wash your sins away. The whole aim of the gospel was not so that you could operate in gifts of the spirit. The whole aim of the gospel was not so that you could feel better about yourself, but the aim of it was to make you a part of the royal family, the royal dynasty of heaven. And I'm going to show you how that is. So in light of that, I want us to go to Luke chapter 19. And I want to read to you a story here about a man that Jesus encountered, but it's going to be, and reading through this story, we're going to gain insight about why Jesus came to the earth. Why Jesus came to the earth. Actually, before we go to Luke 19, hold your hand there in Luke 19, and I want to read to you another scripture. You're going to hear my the pages of my Bible turning. Uh, I want to read you another scripture. You can go there with me, or you can write it down and go there later, but it's going to set uh, a premise for where we're going. 
So we're going to go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, again, we're not going through line by line and verse by verse through the book of 1 John. But there are some very interesting points here that I want you all to realize and understand. That in verse 8, it says that he that commits sin is of the devil. Now, that can be quite intimidating if you're just reading that on the surface. But I want you to realize that in the actual Greek, what this says is he who lives a life of sin is of the devil. So that does away with you can do anything you want to do, live any kind of way you want to live, and still belong to the kingdom of God. According to the Bible, that's not true. Because first John says, who John is known as the beloved of God. He was he was the, the disciple that Jesus, whom Jesus loved. And even though he had a revelation of the heart of Jesus, he understood that because I'm closest to his heart and I walk in a love relationship with him, the more you grow in love with Jesus, the more you're going to walk away from a lifestyle of sin. Now, remember, the whole goal of Ephesians is to make you fall more in love with Jesus so that you live more surrendered to him. I'm going to say that to you again, because again, I want to keep that in the forefront of your mind as we're journeying through the book of Ephesians, that the whole aim of it and the whole goal of it is to make you fall more in love with Jesus so that you live more surrendered to him. So everything we discover, everything we unfold, everything we unveil in the book of Ephesians, the response to it should be, Jesus, I love you. And then the the fruit of Jesus, I love you, is Jesus, I live in surrender to you, your will, your opinion, your judgments, your options. So uh, the Apostle John says, he that commits sin or lives a lifestyle of sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. I want you to understand that sin has been a problem before the Garden of Eden. Now, this part is going to be free. It's just a free nugget, just a toss out there to you. You can study this on your own. But I want you to understand that sin did not originate in the Garden of Eden. Sin originated in the civilization of heaven, in the civilization of eternity. The Bible says that the devil sins from the beginning. So the beginning of sin, the beginning of sin is in the devil, is not in the Garden of Eden. The beginning of sin, the origin of sin is in Satan. Now, what is sin? If you want to make it very plain and very simple, what we would call sin in our everyday society is a crime. If you commit a crime in our everyday society, you get penalized, you go to court, or you go to jail, you go to prison, you pay a fine. It's the same way in the kingdom of God. When you uh, commit a crime in the kingdom of God, it's called sin. So what is sin? Sin is designated a crime in the kingdom of God. It is when the laws of God have been violated. And when the laws of God have been violated, we call it sin or we call it a crime. So criminal activity originated in the devil and the devil. So therefore, redemption, the necessity for redemption, the necessity for the blood, the necessity of all of that originated not in the Garden of Eden. God didn't need the lamb 
and because of the Garden of Eden, God needed the blood of the Lamb because of the origin of sin that was in the devil, which is why the Bible says, uh, Behold the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Are you, are you saying that? So the Lamb was slain not because Adam sinned, but because the devil sinned. The devil caused defilement in heaven. Now, the blood doesn't do anything for the devil. The blood doesn't redeem the devil. What the blood does is it sanctifies the instruments, it sanctifies the altars of heaven, it sanctifies the tabernacle of heaven, and then it sanctifies and redeems mankind. You see that? That's why the Bible says that Jesus had to uh, offer his blood to the Father in the courts of heaven or in the tabernacle of heaven because before mankind could be redeemed, the temple of God in eternity had to be sanctified. That's a whole nother teaching, uh, but you can do study studies through that. It says, for for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The son of God was manifested so that he could destroy or dissolve the works of the devil. So if we can gain insight on what the works of the devil was, we gain insight on why the son of God was manifested. Okay. Y'all see that point? All right. Now that was free. Now we're going to Luke 19 because I want to make sure I get through this. Luke 19. And I'm going to read this entire story. So I'm going to read verses one through 10 for you. And then we're going to jump along and unfold the mystery here of being adopted into the royal family. So Luke 19 says, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. I'm reading out a good old King James Version this week. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the pelicans or the tax collectors. And he was rich and he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was of little statue. And so he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was going to be guests with a man that is a sinner. I want you to pay attention to that, that the religious people got upset that Jesus was going to be a guest in the house of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus, verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Verse 9, and Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want us to pay attention to uh, that beautiful story. It's so much in that story. I'm not going to preach that story. I'm not going to teach that story because it's so much loaded into it. What I want us to see is what Jesus revealed about the story in verse 10. That Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. This is verse 9. For, it's, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. Verse 10. For the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Notice in the verse. That the Bible doesn't say that the Son of Man has come to save, has come to seek and to save who was lost. 
He doesn't say the Son of Man came to seek and to save who was lost. The scriptures say that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So here in Luke 19, we have Jesus coming to seek and save that which was lost. And first John, you have that the son of God was manifested to destroy or dissolve the works of the devil. So then we gain greater clarity about the fact that the works of the devil cause something to be lost. Stay with me. It's going to bless you in the end that the works of the devil cause something to be lost. And Jesus came to dissolve those works and to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, we're going to gain more clarity about learning what was lost. But I want us to look before we go back to the beginning is I want us to look at at the gospel of John chapter one. And look at verse 10. And it says he was in the world. And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came not unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. Now watch this. You have here in the Gospel of John, it's saying that Jesus had the power to all those who believed on him, all those who receive him based on who he said he was. If you receive Jesus on the basis of who he said he was, then Jesus will give you the power to become the sons of God. So watch this. So we got Jesus giving people power to become the sons of God. We got that Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. We also got that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. All right. So we have all of that going on. We have Jesus seeking and saving that which was lost. Now, what I also wanted you to see, because we're trying to discover what was it that was lost? What was it that Satan did that Jesus is trying to destroy so that he can restore the lost thing? And then we learn in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus has given power to those who believe on him to become the sons of God. I want to show you in the scriptures that the thing Jesus came to seek and the thing Jesus came to save is he came to save the lost sons of God. He came to save the lost sons of God. What Jesus came to restore was sonship. He came to restore the sons of God. So the forgiveness of your sins is not the essence of the gospel. The reason why God forgives you of your sins is so that he can restore you to sonship. The reason why Jesus got on a cross. When you hear people say, oh, I preached the gospel today. What we normally think is Jesus, if the gospel has been preached, then that means that the cross has been preached, that the blood has been preached, that forgiveness of sins has been preached. And all of those are components of the gospel. So Jesus dying on the cross is not the not the goal of the gospel. It was a component. The reason Jesus died on the cross was to restore sonship. The reason why we need the blood was to restore sonship. The reason why we need forgiveness of sins was to restore sonship. The reason why we need it to be naturalized into the nation of Jesus Christ is to restore sonship. Okay, I'm going to help you understand that even more. Look at the Gospel of Luke 
and look at something that I know a lot of us skip over, a lot of us think is unimportant, a lot of us don't pay attention to it because we think this these are just space fillers, but there's actually revelation in it. We're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus because there's revelation in that. Look at Luke chapter 3 and look at verse 23. It says, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Hela, which was the son of Matha, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Melchah, which was the son of Jana, which was the son of Joseph. And it goes through verse after verse. It's the son of this person. It's the son of that person. It's the son of this person. It keeps going over and over again. We get all the way down to verse 34. And it says, which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of, of, of Thyra, which was the son of Nacor. And it keeps going, and we get all the way down to verse 38. Now, 38 is about to give us something very revelatory. It says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, and watch this, which was the son of God. So from verses in chapter 3 of Luke, from verse 23 all the way to verse 38, we only have two sons of God. And verse 23 we have Jesus who is the son of God it says as was supposed the son of Joseph but we know him to be the son of God we know that based on the genealogy in Matthew we know that based on the revelation in the gospel of John that Jesus was the son of God now as you go through his genealogy you're going to learn that nobody else is called the son of God until you get to Adam and in verse 38, you see that the son of that which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. So from verse 38, backing all the way up to verse 23, the only thing that was lost in the genealogy was sonship, was sonship in relation to God. That after Adam, every other man that was born was born as the son of his father. Of his father. So you have after Adam, Seth was a son of Adam. And then Enos was the son of Seth. And then uh, Isaac was the son of Abraham. And Jacob was the son of Isaac. You see, but nobody was called the son of God because what was lost, what was lost after Adam is the right to be called a son of God. You see that in, in, the, in that genealogy, you see what was lost in the genealogy and the, and the record of the generations was the right of mankind to be called a son of God. Now, watch this. In these last nine minutes, I'm going to show you something beautiful. Now, go over to the book of Genesis. Go over to the book of Genesis, and we're going back to the beginning, and we're going to see what Satan did how he stole sonship, and how the beauty of the gospel is that sonship has been restored. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female 
created he them. Now, I'm going to jump ahead just so that you can see this. I want you to see that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God created not Adam. He created mankind. That's very important for you to see. God created mankind in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Watch this. So God created the man in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, God created the body for the man to live in. All right. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the creation of man. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the creation of man's body. That is why man, one of the ways man is created in the image of God is that God is a trinity. He is God revealed in three persons. Man is created in three dimensions. Man is a spirit. Man has a soul. That's his mind, his will, and his emotions. And man lives inside of a body. The body is not you. The body is the house you live in. You are the inner man. You are the spirit man. You are not even a soul. You're not a mind and willing in your, your emotions. That's why the Bible says in Genesis 2 and 7, that man became a living soul. Man became a living soul, which means a living soul means that the soul only has life when it's connected to a spirit being. The, the, the reason your mind, your will, and your emotions are living because of, because of you. Because you are a spirit being. So you are a spirit being. You possess a soul and you live inside of a body. Now what God did in Genesis 1 was create the spirit of man. He created the mankind. And he created mankind in his image. You know that in after his likeness. And the actual Hebrew that actually reveals to us that God created man to be his replica on the earth. God created mankind to be his replica on the earth. And that is exactly what you see unfold in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. You see mankind being the replica of God, being the representation of God in the earth. And we learned in Luke that Adam was called a son of God. So to be a son of God does not just mean you have a title. It means that you replicate God in the earth. All right. You replicate God in the earth. How do I know that to be true? Hold your finger in Genesis because we're going to see something in Genesis 3. Learn something powerful about the gospel. And then I'm going to let you all go for this week. But I'm, you're going to learn why you are part of the royal family. So in, in Psalm chapter 82 so psalm 82 it says this psalm 82 verse 1 says god stands and the congregation of the mighty he judge among the gods he judges among the gods now who are the gods we learn who the gods are in verse 6 psalms 82 and 6 it says i have said you are gods and all of you are children of the most high that is a powerful verse that the psalmist here says, you know what? God stands in the congregation of the mighty and he judges among the gods. And you want to know who the gods are? You are gods. 
And who are the, who are who are the you in this subject? Who are the you in this verse? It says the you is all, all those who are children of the Most High. So if you are a son of God, you are a God. You're not a God on equal standing with God, but you are a God of the earth, which means you are you are obligated to rule and reign with authority and power over the earth. Over the earth. That's why the Bible says that the heavens are the Lord and that the earth is the Lord's and in the fullness thereof. But then the psalmist says, but the earth has he given to the children of men. Because as a son of God, you have been called to replicate God by ruling and reigning on the earth. So the same way that God rules in the heavens and the same way that God rules in eternity, mankind was created to rule and reign as God over the earth. But what happened in Genesis chapter three, we see the serpent coming in, deceiving them. Watch this. And he says, God doesn't want you to be like him and he doesn't want you to be like God. See, do you see deception here? Is that Satan came in and made the mankind believe that God didn't want them to replicate him. He made them second guess the commandment and the blessing of God on their life. Yeah. Uh, they ate of the fruit of the tree that they shouldn't have eaten of. And yes, they disobeyed. But what caused them to disobey was that the serpent got them to believe that God didn't want them to be who God had called them to be. And that's exactly how Satan gains access to your life is he makes you doubt. He makes you second guess. He makes you hesitate about being who God has called you to be. Yes, God has called you to be a son. Yes, God has called you to rule. Yes, God has called you to reign. And he's called you to do it as a son of God. That's why the book of Romans, the eighth chapter says that all of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. So let's go back to it. Let's go back to first, first John says that the son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. What was the work of the devil to dissolve his works is that the work of the devil was to get the mankind to think that he was not called to be God's replica. He was not called to be God's representation on the earth. And when he got the mankind to doubt his calling, he was able to cause the sun. That's why Jesus, that's why God said, if you eat of that tree, dying, you will die or you will surely die. You know what death is? Death is simply separation. If you talk about natural death, it is being separated. It is separating the man from his body. You talk about spiritual death, it's separating the spirit of man from the spirit of God. Talk about emotionally being dead. It's separation, it's separation of your emotions from reality. Death is equal to separation. That's all it is. Death equals separation. So you know what God said? If you disobey me, if you do not uphold your end to be my replica on the earth, then you're going to be separated from me. And if you are separated from me, you're no longer going to have the authority you need to rule and reign on the earth. That's why we learn in the New Testament in Corinthians that God, that Satan is the God of this world. He's the God of the system. But the God of the earth are the sons of God. 
the God of the earth are the sons of God. It's the body of Christ. And God has called you to rule and reign. And so the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the message of the kingdom is that God has chosen you and God has accepted you and God has cleansed you and God has washed you and God has redeemed you and God has revealed the mystery of his will to you and God has sealed you by his Holy Spirit. Not so that you can run around and shout and dance in church, but he has done all of that. He has naturalized you so that you can be a citizen in his nation and he wants you not just to be a citizen, but to be a son of his. And if you are a son, then you are also a God submitted to him according to Psalm 82. And what I mean by God, you are called to rule and to reign in authority in the earth, over the earth, and over everything that is in the earth. God is calling you to a new level of rulership. God is calling you to a new level where you reign and walk in victory. You learn that in even in Romans, it says that we are called to reign in this life. God wants you blessed, not just so that you can be blessed, but so that you can rule and so that you can reign. God wants you forgiven, not so that you can feel good, but so that you can rule and so that you can reign because you have been adopted into the royal family. You are a part of the royal family of eternity. And as a member of the royal family, you have been endowed with the power and the authority you need to to reign over the earth, in the earth, and to bring all things into divine order to the kingdom of God. That is the message of the kingdom. That is the glorious message of the kingdom. Repent of your sins. Be converted. Be born again so that you can be adopted into the royal family of God and take your position as a God over the earth, as a ruler over the earth, as a king of the earth. Even in Revelation, when the Bible says that Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords, who are the kings and who are the lords he's king and lord over? It's the children of God. It's the sons of God. He's king of the kings of the earth. He's Lord of the lords of the earth. And the kings of the earth and the lords of the earth are the members of the body of Christ. It's time for you to rise up. It's time for you to move in your identity. It's time for you to be who God has called you to be. And that is a manifested son of God. Well, saints, again, I am out of town this week. I hope the revelation of being a part of the royal family has blessed you. You have been called and empowered to walk in power, to walk in authority, to walk in dominion, and to cause things to be, to come under a submission to the authority of the royal family. You have authority. You have the ability to rule and reign, and God is calling you into it. It's the beauty of being naturalized into the kingdom. It's the beauty of of, of responding and believing in the message of the gospel. So why is kingdom naturalization important? Because God wants you to be a citizen of his nation. And he not only wants you to be a citizen, but he wants you to manifest as a son of God. And I'm telling you, it, it, that is the good news. That is the good news to the poor. It's the good news to the blind. It's the good news to the cripple that you no longer have to be crippled when you have authority over the thing that's crippling you. You no longer have to be blind when you have authority over the thing that's blinding you. You no longer have to be dead when you have authority over the thing that's trying to take your life. That is the glorious gospel of the kingdom. 
So join me next week and we are going to continue our journey through Ephesians and we're going to begin walking through one of the most powerful prayers in the entire Bible and it's going to be verses 15 through 23 and learning how to move into the fullness of all God has for us as citizens, as sons in the nation of Jesus Christ. I love you all. I'll see you all same time, same place next week as we allow the scriptures to be revealed. See y'all next week.